Amen. Hey, that was a big announcement right there. I got a couple more smaller ones. I promise you. I'm almost into the text. I promise you. Which, by the way, today is the Chinese New Year. Today's the Chinese New Year. And Chin is here from Thailand and asked me to celebrate with her and with our brothers and sisters all over the world. Interesting to me that we begin the day of prayer and fasting on a new year in the Chinese culture. And not only are we beginning the prayer and fasting right now, but if you're part of the 5 by 5 reading program, did you realize that tomorrow we begin the book of Acts? The book of Acts, which is when the Holy Spirit was given to the church and everything was transformed. Jesus on purpose said, I'm out, he's in, this is the new rules, right? When we begin the prayer and fasting. I'm just checking this out. Did you notice that next Sunday we'll be in Joshua chapter 10 and it's a major miracle, the provision of God in their battles. He causes the sun to stand still while they fight their battles. And at the end of the week of prayer and fasting, I'm expecting some miracles of provision and power in our lives that the Lord would do what only he can do, miraculous in nature. Did you also notice that next Sunday it's predicted that there's going to be snow in Newport? So all these things are coming together for me. I'm just excited so it's a new year and some possible snow and it's going to be crazy uh hey let's just keep praying and trusting uh, last week we watched a video about baptisms keep praying for the people who were baptized january 1st it was amazing we also had tyler riles here he's on his way to ukraine uh, very soon so keep him in your prayers as well and not only that but pastor adam durkin is leaving at 1 a.m uh, tonight he'll be here tonight at 6 p.m with us he's leaving at 1 driving to eugene 3 a.m and he gets on a flight to san francisco from san francisco to singapore no big deal and then he's going to go from singapore to the philippines i believe and he'll be overseeing yasser's uh wedding uh, adam's in the back right there so if you're next to him could you put your hand on him we're going to pray for adam right now uh, or maybe just stretch your a couple people surround adam so grateful we had a chance to talk this morning we're sending adam out with gifts and provision for yasser uh, Yasser, if you don't know, is a Syrian refugee who was uh, forced to leave Syria to Lebanon to find refuge. He found Jesus and is now being used powerfully, but his life is anything but easy. So it is our joy and pleasure to send Adam to him, to bless him and to care for him. Adam actually just told me that the venue that they have found for the wedding isn't necessarily perfect. It's like a basketball gym or something like that. So Adam, the first thing he's going to do when he gets to the Philippines is try and find a better venue that would more serve this young couple. And just how cool Adam's pastor's heart. So Lord, we thank you for Adam in Jesus' name, and we send him with blessings. We lay hands on him, Lord, like they did there in Acts 13 as they commissioned Paul and Barnabas to the work of the gospel. Would you bless Adam and bless Yasser and Mylene, Lord, in Jesus' name, his soon-to-be be wife. We thank you, Lord. This is, these are miracles, truly miracles of provision and open doors for Yasser. We know his heart's cry. We know the suffering he's been through. And I pray that, Lord, through Adam, you would encourage him and just give Adam the words, give Adam peace and comfort, traveling safeties. May Adam just fall asleep, Lord, take some NyQuil, whatever, and end up in the Philippines, Lord, not even remember the trip. Just bless him, all the security, all the complications, all that we commit to you. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. What, a, what an opportunity for us to partner all the way in Newport, Lord, with what you're doing around the globe. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Adam, for doing that. We'll see you tonight, Adam. And yeah, you can clap. You can clap. Also, just a couple more announcements here. I wanted you guys to uh, know that we are sending out our giving receipts this week. So if you are a faithful giver here at South Beach Church, we've kept record of all of your giving, so you can then do with that what you may. If you're an online giver, you can log into your accounts right now, download that info, start to file your taxes, however the Lord would lead you. But those should be going out. Uh, this week as well. So take your Bibles and open them up now to Joshua. One last announcement, I mentioned that youth group is canceled this week. Uh, on Friday, though, the middle school and high schoolers are going to winter camp. Pastor Roy Van Wyk with a team of others are joining with Verbatim Calvary Chapel and Calvary Chapel McMinnville, and so they're all going to convene together, three churches, middle school and high school. It's going to be next level nuts. So hey, if you have a middle school or high school, get them signed up, and we'd like to make sure that that happens. So talk to Pastor Rory. They're leaving uh, at 4 p.m., so they're going to miss the homemade bagels. Sorry, not sorry. And, um, and when I say homemade bagels, I'm talking these are the best bagels you've ever had in your entire life. If you're not, just even if you're not fasting, they're going to still be the best bagels you've ever had Friday. Uh, don't miss that. Don't miss that. Uh, take your Bibles now and open up to Joshua 9. And if you were here with us last week, we ended chapter 8, kind of a recovery cleanup mission. They had a big blunder in Ai, chapter 8. Some sin had crept into the camp and some issues that they had undergone, and they fixed those issues, and then God led them into victory. And listen, immediately Joshua took the children of Israel and says, guys, we've got to go study the Bible. We were supposed to do that when we got here. 
Remember the command in Exodus, as soon as you cross over the Jordan River, y'all better post up there at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and read the whole law. Don't leave nothing out. Oh, and Joshua missed that, at least as far as I can tell. So they found themselves suffering because the more you skip Bible study, the more you skip devotionals, the more you just let dust accrue on this book, which is what Satan wants to because this book is intended to keep you from sin, but sin is intended to keep you from this book. And you can usually find some direct correlation to your spiritual temperature at any given time based on your connectedness to this book. If you're cold and sad and sick spiritually, I could almost promise you there's been some disruption with your relationship with God's word. Not just God's word, but God's spirit. Not just God's spirit, but God's people. It's a true story. Every single time, you can trace it back. And I just say that, by the way, if you're at home watching online, and we just love our online audience. We love being able to put the best production value content on the internet and reach people and feed people and minister to people. But it's really, you've all attested to this. It's no substitute for actually gathering with God's people, isn't it? And so you got to make that attempt in 2023 to get back into his word and, and back into making time for his spirit and into time with his people. We have to do it. I went to a basketball game, I think it was Friday night, I'm not positive, and it was so radical because the gym at Newport High School was completely packed out, and it was so fun to see so many people and the folks coming together to support all the middle schoolers and high schoolers and elementary schoolers and the girls and the boys basketball, it was just so rad. And I just want to encourage you guys that the Lord is bringing us through this season of complications in the last two years. But we see Joshua saying, okay, something just went wrong. Let's get back into the book. Let's keep hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Can I just tell you, these guys are spirit-filled, if you would. There's that picture in typology. They're in the promised land, but they need to keep digging into God's word. So too with you. If you're a born-again believer, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven because Jesus died and rose from the dead, that's sealed, signed, and delivered. you got nothing else to worry about. But the Bible says to you, you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Don't waste your days, dollars, or deeds. Invest them. Jesus even said, don't make storehouses down here. Huge mistake. Make storehouses up there. Moth and rust and thief can't get to that stuff. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so I'm so glad that Joshua brought the men and women, and he read the Bible to them in this fashion. This is why I love attending church. This is why I love Bible studies. I love attending conferences where people feed me and listening to sermons. It's so fun. Have you ever just found yourself, man, you're all messed up in your head, you're just doing silly things, thinking weird things, and all of a sudden you turn a sermon on, or you go to church, it's the first worship song, and all of a sudden, reset. You're like, oh yeah, that's what it's all about. Whoopsies, I was way off. This happens to me all the time. And every time I'm more humbled in God's presence, more humbled in God's word, more humbled with God's people, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. I'm so glad that Joshua did that. It tells us, though, that when he did this, it included, I'm just going to read the very last verse of chapter 8. It says, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. He notes this because it was important. There was all the men. That would make sense in a Judaic culture, all the men there getting the word. He's like, not just the men, but the women were there. And not just the women, but the children were there. And not just the children, but the people that aren't even Jews that had kind of gathered with us. They were there too. Kind of reminds me of South Beach Church just a little bit. We got things for guys. We got things for the women. We got things for the kids. We got outreach ministries for the strangers. Some of you guys look kind of strange right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it blesses me. May South Beach Church continue to be a place where the men, the women, the children, and the strangers, those who aren't yet part of our family, are ministered to in this way. I kind of ended with these thoughts last week. Notice that the children are there. This would have been uncommon, but I think it's important. He noted it on purpose let me just put this word out there for you moms and dads and youth leaders and Sunday school teachers and teachers in general. To assume that our kids know the word and know what's going on is a huge mistake. They don't. They need to be discipled and cared for, battled for and prayed for. Your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor's kids, the kids around you, the schools, all around you. Jesus used little children to illustrate the kingdom of God. And he said, you've got to be like these little kids. Let them come unto me. Don't forbid them. He even gave warnings. If any of these little kids are made to stumble in any way, oh, man, you, you wish you were never born. Jesus loved kids. So I just encourage you, don't take this lightly. YouTube wants to raise your kids. 
TikTok wants to raise your kids. Instagram and Facebook, Facebook's for old people now, but all these media sites, did you know that? Yeah, I'm still in denial, but I think it's true. But all of these things that want to raise your kids, and I would just encourage you, do whatever you got to do creatively. My kids got up early this morning, Sunday, reading their Bibles, five by five program. Sometimes they forget, sometimes I need to remind them. I know some families in our congregation, they watch the Bible Project on YouTube. You can get whole, whole books of the Bible explained to you kind of in, a, in, a, in an articulate fashion, and they do that together. At South Beach Christian School, every class begins every single day. Tomorrow I'm teaching chapel at 8.30 a.m. Pray for me. I'll be fasting. It's going to be an awesome message. And, and, and our school starts with Bible studies and Bible teachings. Whatever it is, sign your kids up for stuff. Watch VeggieTales. Do something, but don't take this for granted. Make sure. And by the way, can I just say one more thing? They traveled 25 miles to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal to make this happen. It wasn't easy at all. It's not going to be easy, moms and dads, to, to pull your kids away from YouTube or, or from TikTok and say, hey, let's study the Bible. Study the what? We don't do that. That's crazy, Dad. I know. We got a course correct. We got a battle. I'm not going to go out on this without swinging and fighting. Well, we see Joshua bring all this together. Now look at verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 9. It says, and it came to pass. This is on the heels of a major breakthrough Bible study. Let me actually, before we read any further, what would you expect after a major Bible study? Okay, major time of refreshment and a major time of coming back to the Lord. What would you expect? Number one, you should expect fruit. Okay, you should expect growth. The word of God does not return void, but when you study God's word, you hide it in your heart so you don't sin against him, you should expect growth, renewal, fruit, all of these things. This is why we seek his word and don't neglect it. You should expect that. Number two, though, you know what else you should expect right after Bible study? To get attacked. Isn't that horrible? Like you're like, let's go seek the Lord. Bang, you get blasted by the enemy in one way or a dozen others. Expect it. Expected, let's just read verses one and two. It says, and it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and the lowlands and in all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Flashlight, and Snow White, they heard about it. All of them are coming out. This is great. And let's look at verse two. And it says, and they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. I don't know how they all fit into that Honda Accord. It must have been a big <laughs> minivan. They're all in one accord, all these nations together. It actually literally says one accord or one agreement or one mouth. And I want to kind of expand on that. They had the same message. This is what the enemy does. He accuses day and night. He just uses the same old lies, same old tactics. Listen, if you're going to step into prayer and fasting this week, I kind of expect it to be awesome, but I also kind of got to keep my helmet on. Like, it's gonna, there's going to be some attacks going on. Keep your feet, shield of faith up. Keep the sword out, belt on, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of gospel. You gotta, man, you got to be armored up. Expect to be blessed. However, don't be surprised. Matter of fact, let me just tell you what Peter, James, Paul, and Jesus all said about attacks. Peter said you should expect it. He said, don't be surprised. First Peter chapter 1. Don't be surprised. Are you serious? You're surprised? Don't be surprised. Because you're surprised. I'm surprised. James actually said, don't be, Paul said, don't be, Peter said, don't be surprised. James actually said, rejoice in various trials when they come your way. How many guys aren't at the I rejoice when things get bad point yet? <laughs> I'm not there yet. Like halfway through, maybe three quarters of the way through, maybe like five eighths or whatever that is. Maybe when it's almost done, I'm like, okay, okay, I see what's going on. James is like, let's rejoice. Paul in chapter five of the book of Romans says, we glory in tribulations. Like, Paul, you cray cray. And he said, we glory in tribulations because tribulations produce patience and perseverance and hope and none of that disappoints us. I've said this for so many years and I want you to believe it. Christians suffer just the same as the rest of the world. We're not immune to suffering because you're a believer, because you're armored up. You might even suffer more than the rest of the world. But Christians suffer with purpose and with hope. We know that God's doing stuff. The rest of the world doesn't have purpose. They're looking for a victimization mentality. Who done it? What the heck's going on? I want alleviation. I want something to take the pain away where the Bible says, oh, no, 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 no. Pain is what forms diamonds. Pain is where I do my best work. I said this a couple weeks ago. C.S. Lewis quote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he screams in our pain. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys want to hear God's voice? Love, love you. See, if you want to hear God's voice, 
He, he will whisper to you in pleasures. You'll see a rainbow. You'll see a beautiful thing. An eagle will fly over. Oh, the Lord, the Lord. But in your pain, his voice is loud and clear. Don't be surprised. So this attack comes. This attack comes. And Jesus, by the way, not just Peter and James and Paul, but Jesus knew the value of being attacked. Because I don't want to get attacked. I want to study my word. I don't want to have to go through another, another skirmish, another battle. It's going to happen. Jesus, as soon as he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and he came up out of the water, he was led immediately into the woods, into the wilderness to be tested and attacked. Let me just read to you Luke's synopsis after the attack. And let me just say what I'm trying to say before I read the script. When you get attacked, when you go through a trial, God's intention is to purify you even more and strengthen you, and you come out better for it. It's like going through a great workout. It's like, dude, that workout was crazy. I almost blacked out. I think I might have blacked out. And you come out the other side, and you're stronger for it. Listen to what Luke says in Luke 4. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went throughout all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Are you for real? What's the fruit of the attack Jesus went through? Power, fame, and everyone began to hear about Jesus. Those are good things. May the Lord have his way in our hearts. Well, this attack is coming, and I would just encourage you, by the way, no matter how you're attacked, get, get this down. If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8. Paul's conclusion. Paul was hardcore, by the way. Paul had everybody against him. He's like, I don't give a rip. God's for me. I win no matter what. No matter what comes against you. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul lists an exhaustive list of foes and enemies. He even makes some up. Things created, things imagined, things in heaven, things above. Things, it doesn't matter. What's against you right now? Did you know this? If you're getting attacked right now, or if you find yourself getting attacked in the future, okay, just know this. You win, the devil loses. Amen? It's just the way it is. Here's the problem with the enemy. He's an idiot. He's an idiot. The devil's an idiot. He's a loser, and because this loser is losing, here's what he's doing. Imagine you're at a barbecue, and there's a swimming pool, and there's a guy standing by the pool in all his clothes, and some prankster comes by and pushes this guy in the pool, okay? That's Satan getting pushed in the pool. And when that guy gets pushed in the pool, he's going, and there's nothing he can do about it. But you know what he's going to try and do? Take as many people with him as possible. And this is what Satan's doing right now. He's a loser. He's been pushed over. He's been defeated. But he is right now trying to hurt as many people as he can before he falls into the pool, namely God's bride, namely the church, namely me and you. Okay, but guess what? You're not getting pulled in that pool. You're not. There's nothing formed against you that shall prosper. You're the winner, no matter what. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Tear, blessed be the name of the Lord. Nothing, nothing can defeat what God has already achieved through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That being said, though, the attacks will come. We see two major ways of the attack uh, illustrated here in verses 1 and 2 and, and throughout. Number one, we see what I'm going to call the sky is falling attack. Okay, This is when the enemy comes to you. And it's listed here, the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the snake bites, and all these people are coming together. And there's just everything coming. And you've experienced this in your life, haven't you? It's not just one thing, but it's like a dozen little things. And oh man, the sky is falling. And we get this mentality where the little things compile every single one of us. I get phone calls, I get emails, I get text messages, I get all kinds of things. That's okay. It's my job. Please keep them coming. I'm praying for you. Sometimes I send those text messages and emails out to people who pray for me. It feels like the sky is falling. And it's that of approach that the enemy uses to discombobulate us to come against us and it could be as simple as your finances are just getting a little bit tough okay okay we got to figure this out then all of a sudden you have a relationship that gets stressed and strained over here and then all of a sudden your heart begins to beat faster in your health and you find a little spot here and some things happen and then you hear somebody question your identity and you question your own identity and your own value and your own worth and then maybe the devil puts a trap and you find yourself walking in some sort of immorality and some sin issue creeps up and the battles and then your peace and the fruit in your life and all of these things and then your dog has a mess on the floor all of the issues and you wash your car and it rains and you feel like it's you're to blame and it's just this guy is falling did i just describe your life Who's, whose life is that who's yeah yeah a couple of y'all out there it's gonna happen these guys are in the promised land they've been promised victory over all of these enemies but all these enemies are going to come together by the way like i said with one accord same message 
Did you know that Satan, not only is he an idiot, but he's not very creative? He has the same old book of tricks. He's been using the same book of tricks since Genesis chapter 3. All he does is with his mouth accuse and attack those things that God has declared to be true. It's just a message of words. This is why it's so imperative that you know the word of God. I mean, freak out with me. Let's be Bible people. Let's just know the word. Let's spend the rest of our life knowing God's word. Why? So we're not deceived by all the attacks and all the false messages and innuendos that are being perpetrated in our world and also in our own little committee in your own head. I'm not sure if this is true, but I'll tell it as if it is. It's kind of fun. I heard that bank tellers back in the day would get their training with money in order to spot counterfeits. They were given real money for many weeks and months. They were never given counterfeit money in order to spot counterfeit money. But instead, the attack and the the design of this kind of training was that tellers would become so familiar with the real thing that instantaneously, when a lie or a counterfeit showed up, without any training about how to identify a false or a counterfeit bill, they knew that's not real. That's not authentic. How? Because they were so confident and comfortable with the real thing. Can I encourage you, Christian? If you want to be a person of discernment, a person of wisdom, a person of balance and strength and a foundation that can't be shook, okay, don't worry so much about all the lies, all the propaganda, all the conspiracies, all the chaos, all the counterfeits. Don't be so worried about that. It's not your problem. There's too much. They create new counterfeits and new propaganda every single day. You know what you need to do? You need to be very, 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 very familiar with God's word. Be grounded in his word. Pray to the Lord for discernment. Surround yourself with others who have discernment. Run through your decisions and your thought processes with the people around you that you might lean on their discernment. Confess your need for God's wisdom and God's ways. And I promise you, if you seek God's ways, God's wisdom, God's will, you're going to find it. He's not going to leave you on your own. He's going to say, you're looking for my way, my wisdom, my will? Oh, well, here it is. And he's going to protect you. He's going to give you the mind of Christ, supernatural power. This idea of this one accord attack system coming against the children of Israel, we call this the sky is falling. But then also we see in verse three, go to verse three, it says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And stop right there, eyes up here. These guys pretend to be something they're not. Okay, one of the oldest tricks in the book for the enemy is the sky is falling, everything's coming against you. Be careful of that. One time I was actually working at the Kia C Coffee House. And I remember I was managing, it was right during the middle of a rush, and, and I, I was the manager, and I remember like somebody blew something, and a cup fell over, and then another order got mistaken, and then another cup fell off and shattered on the ground. And in that moment, I saw what was going on. I was like, this is crazy. There's no way that this is happening on accident. And I began to laugh, and I was like, this is hilarious. You know, maybe I was, like, sleep-deprived. It's possible. But, but I knew it was just an attack. When the sky is falling too much, nothing formed against you shall prosper. The second lie, though, is just a strategy of the enemy. It's one of just deception. The enemy's just going to lie to you. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies that he just seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy. And so while all these people are coming against Joshua and the children of Israel, that's happening on one front. Now the Gibeonites, they're a separate group. Okay, they're part of that Canaanite group, the mass population. But the Gibeonites, they come together and they said, let's just go lie to them. Let's go deceive them for our own benefit. And so what they do is they disguise themselves as ambassadors. And they come to Joshua and to the rulers of the children of Israel, and they wear kind of ambassador-like clothes, but they're all shabby as if they've been traveling for many months, possibly even years. And they bring with them their wineskins that are old on purpose, deceiving them. And they bring with them bread that they had just baked, but they let it get moldy. They said, hey, we left a long time ago. So long ago did we leave on our journey that our bread is now moldy. Look at our clothes. They've all worn out. It's like we shop at Old Navy. We don't know what's going on. This is crazy. It's kind of funny. (laughs) And this idea of deception now is what they're coming against the children of Israel. This is, again, why we need to know God's word, have discernment. And I would just, again, may the Lord speak to us. If you've been deceived before, okay, everyone has different levels of discernment. They do. Some, Some people are more gullible than others, okay? 
the Bible actually uses that word gullible. It talks about people preying on the gullible. And this is important that you don't, don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you think. That's kind of offensive, but I'll say it again. Don't believe everything you think. Okay, test every spirit. Test every message against the word of God. Find a group of accountability partners and say, I just, I'm seeing this, I'm sensing this, can you pray for me? And seek the Lord. He's not the author of confusion, bless you, but he will lead us and guide us and bring us into all things. That word in verse four, how many of you guys have a different word? It says, they worked craftily in my Bible, the third word. Anybody have a different word? What's it say, while? Wilily or wilily? In the King James, what's it say? Cunningly. In the King James version, it says wilily. It reminds us of Wiley Coyote. Remember him? Wiley, remember that guy? He was always trying to get the road runner and always trying to do silly stuff and trick him. And this is what the, the enemy's crafty. Is that not kind of freaky to you? The enemy's like, let's freak, let's freak these guys out. Let's trick them. Let's absolutely deceive this man or woman into making a huge mistake and decision in their life that they're gonna forever regret. Does this sound like some of the things that have happened in your life where you're full on deceived? And they dress up like ambassadors, which to me is crazy. Because when you're dealing with an ambassador from another nation, you don't want to blow it, do you? You don't want to be like, oh, shoot, we've got some ambassadors here. You know, we got to, This is real big-time stuff. And sometimes the enemy can actually trick you into going his way with presenting to you things that aren't necessarily evil or bad, but they're actually attractive in some way. This is why James, Jesus' little brother, says, hey, don't buy things. Don't sell things. Don't travel. Don't go here and don't go there. But instead, ask the Lord, should I buy this thing? Should I sell this thing? Lord, should I go here or should I travel there? And let the Lord tell you what you should do because none of those things are bad, but what you really want is you want God's will and God's wisdom. I've seen so many people train wreck their life. I feel like the Lord wants me to be a part of this business adventure. Uh, Let me say that differently. I'm going to be a part of this business adventure. Have you prayed about it? Well, it's a good, this is like, the ambassadors are here, Luke, what's your problem? It's a good deal. The economy's booming. I'm going to invest in this way. This gal or this guy, they fulfill me. They complete me. We're perfect together. We met at the bar. What could go wrong? <laughs> we both go to South Beach Church. You know? <laughs> That's hilarious. May the Lord give it. One, one time, I've shared this story before, but I was 21 years old, and I was working at that same coffee house, and the two owners uh, above me, I was just an employee, a manager, and they said, Luke, we'd like to make you a part owner with us. We'd like to take this coffee house. It's a growing business. We'd like to go even bigger, and with you and us, we can do this together. And as a 21-year-old young man who had really no direction in my life at that time, it stroked my ego. It made sense. It wasn't an evil thing. I thought, this is crazy. I don't have to give any money, and I'm I'm a third partner of this business. This is so rad. And I remember I told my dad and mom about it, Joe and Arla for sure. I lived in Ashland. This is before emails were on phones, before any of that stuff, 21, so this was many, many years ago. And I remember my dad sent me an email response. And I checked my email about once every three months at this time in my life. And so there was this email from my dad. And my dad said, Luke, I'm so proud of you. So, so encouraged by what God's doing in your life. I was planning on going to Honduras at the same time. I had a trip plan. I was taking people into the jungle. My dad said, that's so cool. So and my dad then went on to say, you know what? I would love to go to Honduras as well, but I, but I can't because I'm a restaurant owner. And I've got a stack of invoices here, and I've got a calendar here, and, and I can't do it. And, and so, because I own this, and then my dad asked a question. He said, Luke, I'm just curious. Is this opportunity to be a business owner of a restaurant, is it from God to glorify him and advance his kingdom? Or is it from Satan to distract you from God's real purpose in your life? And when I read the email, I almost fell off the chair I was sitting on. And it was like this moment of what? And I knew, I knew God's call in my life. And it wasn't to be a restaurant owner. It wasn't to have this thing and this, this prestige in my life. I knew God had called me to the ministry. And this simple question, who, where's this from? Where's this from? This ambassadorship had crept into my life. And I remember I went to Mike, Kell, and Bobby, the managers. I said, guys, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I can't be the guy that you need. I'm gonna stay the course and trust the Lord. And it wasn't a few months later that I found myself engaged to Crystal Frechette, who had a different last name, but Crystal, my, my wife, you know, and, and we got married and I got hired at the church just a few months later and have been employed. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. It's praise God. They show up with these ambassador clothes on and they pretend, verse four tells us, they took old sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, all of this in an effort to deceive. Now look at verse six. It says, and they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him, hey, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. 
Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, well, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? Stop right there, Isaac Perry. You need to know this. In the book of Exodus, God had already told and commanded the children of Israel, when you go into the promised land, no covenants with the people of the promised land. No covenants. You can't do it. It's illegal. Everyone in the promised land, the land of Canaan, has to be wiped out because of their sin, their evil, their paganism and perversion. They're not okay to deal with. It'd be like trying to train a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something to be your, you know, pal. It's like, no, he's going to eat you. These guys are not good. And so they said to them, hey, how can we do this? What if you're from nearby? They deceived them and said, we're from a long ways away, man. We're all from Walport. We're nothing to worry about here. You know, well, you guys can be our friends. This is incredible, by the way. Because the devil always will try and deceive us and make deals with us. It's not a big deal. It's okay. We're from a far by, far away country. And in verse 7, when they ask this question, they know what's going on. They say, well, what if you're not? What if you're from nearby? Then we're all going to be in trouble. And this moment of discernment, I wish we could double click or pause on verse 7 and say, yeah, ask that again. Run it by Joshua. Seek the Lord. Do something. They do not do any of these things. Have you ever had that conviction in your spirit? Maybe I shouldn't click on this old tab. Maybe I shouldn't answer that phone. Maybe I shouldn't go into that bar. Maybe I shouldn't go, go through with this business deal. You ever have that feeling? I pray you do. Not because you're an evil person doing evil things, but because the Holy Spirit will speak to you and say, hey, careful. Just recently I was with some friends praying, seeking the Lord. And God was so powerful in that meeting. My heart began to beat and I realized where, where we were going was, was not the direction that God wanted us to go. And we had to stop and pause and seek the Lord further and ask him, what do you want to do? Don't just go where the devil wants you to go, but instead ask the Lord. Look at verse 8. But they said to Joshua, hey, we're your servants. And Joshua said to him, who are you and where are you from? So they said to him, oh, from a very far country your servants have come. Because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us and said, take provisions with you for your journey, and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants now, therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot out of our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look at it. It's dry and moldy. See? And these wineskins which were filled were new and see they are torn. And these our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Stop right there, eyes up here. One of the things that the devil will do to you every single time when he's seeking to deceive you is to oversell the product. To really try and convince you that it's okay. To get you to focus on the minor details, the fringe details that don't really have anything to do. Look at our bread. Look at our wine. Look at our clothes. In order that you would be deceived into the further view and the further picture of where this is actually going to take you. And may the Lord give us that discernment when we feel like we're being snowballed. Something weird is going on. Kids will try and do this to you all the time, won't they? Try and get you to let them go see a movie or go hang out at a friend's house. Hey, can I do a sleepover at this friend's house? They're real good. They're mom and dad are doctors. There's all this crazy stuff. They're trying to sell you on the details. Just so you kids know, you can never trick your parents, okay, in Jesus' name. You just can't. Mom and dads have discernment. I remember one time I had a party at my parents' house. Joe and Arlo, they were gone, and so we had a party. And, and after the party was over, I did the right thing. I cleaned the entire house. And so I hauled every single trash in the house, not realizing that covering my tracks that well led my mom to believe that I had done something silly. <laughs> Moms. I did not get away with it. But the enemy, far more evil, will seek to convince you that contracting a deal with him is no big deal. Isn't this crazy? We're from a far country. This isn't going to, we're not going to be a problem. Just sign this contract that says that we can live, that you won't kill us. We'll go back so far away from you, you'll never see us again. This is exactly what sin says. I'm going to leave you alone. Just do it this one time. Just believe me, just, it's not a big deal. I'll give you space. I'm not going to destroy your life. Come on. When the enemy only, do you know this? The enemy only ever seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. There is no negotiating with him. There's no contract, no mutual appreciation, none at all. Jesus comes to give life and to give life abundantly. The thief comes to steal and to pillage and to kill sheep where the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. 
And how many times have I or have you found ourselves compromising, leaving the shepherd, following the voice of the deceiver, and reaping the consequences of death and difficulty? Notice he uses flattery here. Oh, we heard about your God. We just want to be your servants. We just want to be on your team. This is actually going to be good for you. This is going to help you. It's going to alleviate that, that desire, that pain, that thing that you're going through right now. Trust me, this will not cost you more. I promise. Read the fine print. It's a lie. It's a lie. Verse 14 is kind of hard to read, but we're going to do it anyways. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. I'm not really sure how this looked. These ambassadors came with provisions. This is what you would do when you go meet a neighboring country. You would bring gifts to them of, of sorts. And so here the counselors of the children of Israel, they're like, okay, this, this story's kind of whack. We're in charge here. But I suppose we could compromise. Hey, what do you have in your goodie bag there anyway? You know what I'm saying? What, what kind of provisions did you guys bring? Y'all got iPads? Y'all got switches? What you got? And they took some of it. Took some of the enemy's goods. Now, you could read this differently. And I don't want to build too big of this, but I am going to connect the dots maybe for your mind. It says that the provisions, namely explained, were bread and wine. Moldy bread and old wine. And it could be, it could be that the elders of the children of Israel partook of some of that bread and partook of some of that wine. The oldie bread, oldie bread, the moldy bread and the old wine. And then they didn't seek the Lord. It could be that instead of going to the table of what we would call in the New Testament communion, seeking the Lord for discernment with the bread of life and with the wine which represents the blood of our Savior and asking him, Lord, what is thy will for my life? This looks good, but I feel like it's a counterfeit. They did not seek the Lord's counsel. Now let me just say something so we can all grieve together. Does this remind you of chapter 7? when they attacked Ai and they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord but just did it their way and they took kind of the, the lead on their own shoulders and said three or 4,000 people could do it. That's all we need. And with pride and with ego, they led. Here they've been flattered into believing that this is not going to be a problem and instead of asking the Lord what to do, they did the wrong thing. Don't raise your hands. Please don't this time. But how many of you guys have a repeating kind of cycle of sin in your life that you just keep falling for? Just periodically, maybe once a month, maybe once a year or something. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an action. And maybe you're asking yourself, when am I going to learn this lesson? Ah! I don't know when you're going to learn your lesson. I'm still waiting to learn some of my lessons. I got, I got cycle sins, things that come back. Oh, there it is again. thought we just dealt with this in Chapter 7. How is it showing up in Chapter 9 already? Because this book tells the truth. There's only one hero in this book. You know that, right? It's Jesus. Only one hero. It's not about men and women of the Bible and how great they are. We're the zeros. He's the hero, period. And it's the same in your life and in my life. We, we keep falling and failing. And I believe the recipe and the prescription for our success is instead of taking of the moldy bread and the old wine, it's to come back to the bread of life and the real wine and to keep coming to the table the table of communion. Do this often in remembrance. We're going to take communion together in just a few minutes. And we're going to remember the Lord. And then we're going to respond with singing and worship him. And I don't know what it is in your life right now that's crept up and has caused chaos and compromise in your life. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe you've already cleaned all that up right now. Maybe, though, it's something that will be forcing you to deal with it later. Verse 14 pains me. Look at verse 15. It goes on. It says, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Now, we, again, don't understand all the government policies here. But essentially, the rulers said, okay, it all checks out. We're going to make a covenant. We won't kill you guys. Now go back to your far, far, far away country and leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. Well, three days later, verse 16, it happened at the end of three days after they made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Oh, man, these guys are from Walport, you know. They're right there. Literally, Gibeah was about 25 miles away, so maybe, maybe like Yahas or Otis or something like that, you know. You do the math. Burnt Woods, I don't know. Not, not, not too far away. 
And then the children of Israel, verse 17, journeyed, and they came to their cities on the third day, and their cities were Gibeon, Cherubeth, Baroth, and kirjath Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Stop right there. You see how complicated this is now. The rulers are in charge. They made this executive decision. They didn't seek the Lord. They made a covenant, a peace treaty with all these people, the Gibeonites and a couple other cities. They show up there, and the children of Israel are like, hey, these guys are bad guys. They're right here. We got to take them out. And the rulers said, dude, we blew it. We can't. We can't take him out. We signed a covenant in Jehovah's name. It would be blast. It would be, it would be two wrongs to make a right at this point. We've totally blown it. And so the congregation was mad at the rulers now. Do you see how sin is so insidious in this domino effect, this trickle effect? Please mark this in your mind. Your sin does not just impact you. It impacts everyone around you every single time. The biggest lie that the enemy tells me is, Luke, it's just you. It's not going to impact your wife. It's not going to impact your kids. It's not going to impact your church. <clears throat> Lies. It will. It'll undermine. It'll undo that which the Lord has already put together every time. Now, I, I believe we do see some redemption in this story if you, if you choose to look at it this way. And I'm going to choose to look at it this way. It says in verse 19, then all the rulers said to all the congregation, hey, we've sworn to the... We sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do then to them. Verse 20, here's their redemption. And before I even unpack this, we've all made mistakes. We've all committed covenants to the enemy, to our flesh, and to this world that cannot be unbroken. It's too late. We're damaged goods, every one of us. There's been problems and sins and addictions and afflictions there's been divorces and there's been mishaps and explosions all throughout the world. So let me say something. You, anybody have a time machine, by the way? A time machine would come in handy right about now. There's no such thing. And so what we do is we plead the blood of Jesus over our body, mind, spirit, past, present, and future. And if you have covenanted or done something silly or foolish in your life, God's redemptive work extends all the way into your history He's the only one, the gospel is the only thing that can do this. God's the only one that can go into your past and say, I will fix that. I will forgive that. Listen, and I will actually redeem it. To redeem means to bring value back to that which has lost its value. To put back the years that the devil has eaten. And it would be the saddest day in all of history if we were to take these screens right now and to replay all of your bad covenants over your life all the times you've been deceived and the contracts you've signed and the treaties that you've made with the devil, each and every one of us, one by one, oh, what a sad day. I would skip church that day if you guys watched mine. I'm just go to the different church, you know. Do you know what the Bible says that God's taken your sins and he's hidden them as far as the east is from the west? He's there is no east pole. There's no west pole. There's a south pole and a north pole. What if God said, I've taken your sin and I put it as far as the north is from the south? Like, so like only 28,000 miles? <laughs> ah, or whatever it is, you know? Instead, he's like, no, no, there is, there's no finding it. It's in the sea of forgetfulness. And God has taken your sins and he's put them in the sea of forgetfulness and he posted a sign on that sea that says no fishing. Leave your stuff alone. Leave it there. Redeem it. It's hard to say that. It's hard to say that, but I do believe it. Look, look at this. This is what we will do to them, verse 20. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. By the way, coincidentally, Saul, later on, many, many years from now, King Saul would go to war against the Gibeonites and would suffer because of it. And God would call them out and say, hey, there's a treaty against those people and you broke it. Suffrage will come your way. Intense. Different study, different time. Verse 21. And the ruler said to them, let them live, but... Let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called to them and he said to them saying, why have you deceived us? Saying we are from a very far country when you dwell near us. Pfft, so mad. Now therefore you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. 
And so they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Stop right there, eyes up here. Verse 24 is kind of fun. They're like, we knew you were going to kill us. That's why we lied to you. Huh, okay. And they knew something else. They knew that if you covenanted with us, you'd have to keep us alive. It's almost as if this people group knew God's words and promises better than they did. Can I say something? The devil knows the Bible better than you do. James chapter four says that the devils believe in Jesus and tremble. Okay, Satan has for you a one-year plan. He has a one-year plan for you. It, it, might, it might not work, but he has a plan for you. He has a two-year plan for you. He has a five-year plan. He has a 10-year plan. And he has a 20-year plan. There's a target on your back. He knows what's going on. He knows God's word. He knows God's timeline. He knows better than you will ever know. And so what we must do is know God's word and hide it in our heart. How can a young man cleanse his ways? By hiding your word in his heart. How can, a, how can I not sin against you by memorizing your word, knowing your word? These guys said, we know what's going on. We heard about all this stuff. We, knew, we, know, what, we know what the word, the word says. Notice this curse that Joshua gives to them in, in closing. And I'm going to have the worship team come up and they're going to join us. And we're going to take communion together. These guys were now cursed to be woodcutters and water carriers. Listen, in the house of the Lord. King David would go on later to say, it is better to dwell in the house of the Lord for one day than anywhere else. I would rather serve the Lord in his house than to serve any other place. And these guys, these Gibeonites, gladly said, we will do that, verse 25, and now here we are in your hands, do with us as it seems, good and right to do to us. And so he said to them, and he delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. Look at verse 27, and that day, Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. What a crazy story. How messed up is this? Now all of a sudden, the children of Israel, they have all the Gibeonites living with them forever. Can you imagine that? You go to Circle K, you walk in, there's a bunch of Gibeonites there that should be dead, a bunch of pagans. But instead, through God's grace and provision, they've been redeemed. And I can't go into all the details because I wasn't there, but it's as if these Gibeonites said, hey, you know what we do now? We serve the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? God's redemptive values knows no bounds. He can take your situation that's all messed up. Maybe you've been divorced once, maybe twice, maybe three times, maybe, maybe oh my gosh, Lord, and you've blown it. And the Lord would say to you, hey, you want to serve in my house? What? How? How could that even be? The wood. The wood that Jesus died on. The tree. The tree that he bore upon himself as he carried that to the Golgotha's hill. The water that poured from Jesus' side as the Roman put the spear in and blood and water came from him. The wood and the water both speak prophetically to Jesus and what he's done, what only he can do. And I want you to know this right now. If you've blown it, if you've gone outside of the will of God, if you've contracted poorly and mistakenly, God would say to you, give it to me and you can still serve in my house. This is how radical my love is for you. This is how radical my forgiveness goes back to you. So I'm gonna ask you all now to stand with me to take your communion. If you don't have a communion packet, they're in the back. Someone's passing them out right now. Pastors and ushers, they're bringing them out. Or you can come up forward to the stage and grab your communion elements. And would you with me take this packet, peel back that top layer, which reveals the bread. And would you lift up your bread with me? <laughs> I just checked mine for mold. There is none. It's brand new. Lord, we thank you for your body broken for us, for your sacrifice on the cross, for redeeming us, Lord. This story is so crazy. And Joshua, who lived it and who failed through it, recorded it for our learning, for our hope, for our instruction, for our warning. The book of Romans tells us that. And it points to you, Jesus. And so now with this bread in our hands, we thank you for what you've done. We remember you, Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you need that deep healing. 
Maybe you've covenanted with the enemy more than once, maybe dozens, maybe even as a lifestyle. Lord, we look to you right now in Jesus' name. Would you fulfill all those contracts with your blood? Would you buy us back right now? Would you go to the enemy, Lord, and say, yeah, I know what my daughter did. I know what she said. I know what she did. Here's my blood, paid in full, redeemed and delivered. I know what my son has done. He's called out to me, and I'm covering him now with my blood. I'm covering him with my grace. Lord, would you set us free in Jesus' name? Would you do a work? You need that freedom right now. You are paid in full, set free by the blood of the Lamb, by the body of our Savior, by the gift of Jesus on the cross. We remember and we rejoice. Go ahead and take of the bread as you remember your Savior and what he's done for you. take back that second layer and hold your cup with me lifting it Father we thank you for your blood given to us freely through your son the satiation the satisfaction, the propitiation the fulfillment the payment for our sins my many sins and I repent would you repent with me those sins the sins of your youth oh Lord Renew to us a joy of salvation. Take not your Holy Spirit from us and use us, as it says in Psalm 51, to declare your goodness to other sinners that they might know the freedom that comes through Christ. Deliver us, Lord. Break the contracts. Break the treaties. And may we, Lord, who are just like the Gibeonites, serve in the house of the Lord all the days of our life. What a gift. What a turn of events. We remember you, Lord. Thank you for your blood poured out for us. Go ahead and take of the cup. Lord, we're going to sing to you now and worship you. An offering that no one else can give but us. No one can sing for you. No one can worship for you. I encourage you during this last song to worship. If you need prayer, come forward. I'd be happy to pray for you under the screen here on the north. If you need prayer, other than that, let's sing to the Lord and end our service with worship to him. He deserves it.